I want to officially welcome everyone to this Agape Christian Fellowship meeting. Just a reminder, if you would like to see this live with the worship, you will need to be part of, a, of our Agape family group right now. It's located on Facebook. We look to move it to our website in the future. To become part of this group, you must have started classes at the Courts of Heaven Academy and be learning with us to be considered part of our church family. And now today, we will continue learning from God's word about one particular item in the book of Revelation. There's a mystery contained within the word of God, the mystery of 1111. And it pertains to the two witnesses. A mystery is something that is hidden and revealed only in God's time. And today is that time. We've already studied in the book of Revelation about the two witnesses, when they will come, even when they will die, or when their job for God will be complete, and then the Antichrist can overcome them, and Satan's army will kill them. We've already discovered those dates. We've already discovered many things concerning the two witnesses, including the fact that they do not represent the Gentile and the Jewish nation. If you, I urge each one of you to Go back and begin at the beginning of the Revelation series if you are coming into this late. Because we are not going to go over those things again. We're going to continue on. It's a free series, so I'm not trying to sell you anything. All the materials are free. It's online at agape-cf.org. So today, today we're continuing on the journey with God find out more about the two witnesses of Revelation. Malachi 4 verse 5 in the Amplified Classic Version says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Before our Lord made his official debut, God sent a witness to prepare the world that is what John the Baptist was called, the witness of Jesus. The Israelites were expecting Elijah to come from heaven and prepare the way. They were expecting this to such a degree that the Encyclopedia Britannica speaks about Israel's point of view concerning Elijah and the coming of the Lord. The fifth ceremonial cup of wine poured during the family cedar, that's dinner or Passover, it is left untouched in honor of Elijah, who according to, to tradition will ar arrive one day as an unknown guest to herald the advent of the Messiah. During the cedar dinner, that's Passover, the last supper Jesus shared, biblical verses are read while the doors briefly open to welcome Elijah. Elijah who, it is further said, will resolve all controversial questions connected with the law. At the Feast of Passover, they would set an extra plate 
They would even set an extra glass of wine. However, God's people, they forgot one thing. God is always the same. Our God has never sent someone from heaven to interact with mankind, all of mankind, to accomplish an action. He has never resurrected someone and use them. They have to be born on the earth. Even Jesus himself, he was born on the earth. He did actions. Then he was resurrected for only a few days and then left. So why would God resurrect Elijah from 500 years ago and have him walking about? That, that is not the way God works. Our father's people, Israel, we're so focused on Elijah, on seeing him as preparing the way for the Messiah's reign, they forgot that he would be an unknown guest. And one, that simple, undeniable fact that God never changes, he's always the same. The religious leaders of the day, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they ignored the reality of John the Baptist, how he was operating in the mantle of Elijah. Zechariah, John's father, received a word from an angel stating who his son would be before he was born. Luke 1, 16 through 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That matches the description of what Elijah would do. The spirit, the power, are what we refer to as a mantle, often. We call it a mantle. It brings an anointing from God in a certain area. And now we know that John was indeed Elijah who came before the Lord. Because Malachi 4, 6 says he will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to the father. Hindsight is often 2020. So people of the day, many of the leaders, most of them did not understand John the Baptist was Elijah that was prophesied. It was never meant to refer to Elijah literally coming back to the earth. And because Israel was so focused on seeing a person, they missed the first coming of Jesus. The leaders of the world today are, the religious leaders of the world today, are in danger of making the very same mistake concerning the two witnesses of prophesied in Revelation. We must know who we are looking for so that we can recognize them when they come. Remember, much of the book of Revelation is metaphorical. A beast with seven heads and ten horns rising out of the sea, and a woman riding the beast, right? This represents something else. So how do we know who the two witnesses are? The information given about them is very limited. But, as I said, there is a hidden meaning. So first, let's see what's written. Then we'll go back and see the hidden mystery of God. First, let's figure out the job of the two, two witnesses. John the Baptist was recognized as the, as the witness of Jesus Christ because of the job he was doing. 
So understanding the job of the witnesses of revelation may help us recognize them when they appear. Revelation 11.2 says, but leave out your measuring of the court outside of the sanctuary. Omit that, for it is given over to the Gentiles, those who do not know God, and they will trample the holy city underfoot for 42 months. John is told to measure the new temple of God, which means this is an actual temple which will be created on the earth. The courtyard is left for the Gentiles or those who do not know God or are not Hebrew by birth. So it's interesting that it, we know it must take place on the earth because those who do not know God would not be in heaven. Trample the holy city seems to indicate that non-Israelites will flood into Jerusalem for three and a half years to see this temple, even though they will only be allowed into the courtyard. Now, Revelation 11.3 will continue reading about the two witnesses. And I will grant the power of prophecy to my two witnesses for 1,260 days, dressed in sackcloth. It doesn't say after this, it says, and. So this means that while this is going on, while the temple has just been built and Gentiles are in the courtyard, because, you know, God's people don't recognize Christians as part of God's family, then two people will prophesy. These are his witnesses, the two witnesses. Sackcloth is metaphorical. It's used throughout the Bible. It, in the original days, it was meant rough clothing, you know, that was not elegant. It was a state of mourning. Sometimes they actually used a sackcloth. Now, the question is, do they actually prophesy from Jerusalem? Or could it be anywhere in the world? There is no indication from this that where they will prophesy. It talks about the temple, but it doesn't say they're going to prophesy from the courtyard. There is no real indication of what it will be. Deuteronomy 19.15 in the Amplified Classic Version says, One witness shall not prevail against a man for any crime or wrong, any wrong in connection with any sin he commits. Only on the testimony of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Revelation 11.7, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless, bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. You see, this is what the two witnesses are doing. They are giving testimony, testimony about the state of the world, the sin, so that the final judgment from God can come and Jesus can return. It's necessary for this to happen with the mouth of two people before God brings judgment. This is the job of the two witnesses. Once they have given their testimony about sin, Satan makes war on them and kills them. We know the date that they will stop. We know the date that they, uh, Satan will be allowed to be, overcome them. But it doesn't actually say it'll happen on that exact day. It may or may happen a little later. In order to fully understand this, we must know about the three evil players on the earth at the end time. 
knowing who they are, are crucial to understanding the fullness of what God is saying here. Revelation 16.3, let's kind of recap. We, we covered this more thoroughly in the series, but we're just going to recap here. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of, the God, of God Almighty. Okay, so the Antichrist, he is one. So the mouth of the dragon, the dragon is symbolic of the Antichrist who's reigning through the power of the dragon. He is one of the heads on the beast in Revelation 13 verses 1 through 5 and 17 through 10. You'll see who the Antichrist is. The person with the power of Satan's army, he's possessed by Satan. And that is the spirit who comes out of him. Revelation 11, uh, 13 verses 11 through 15 and 17 verses 3 through 6 talk about the false prophet. The false prophet, it, it's represented by the woman who rides on the beast. We know that that is the spirit of Jezebel who inhabits one person. So I'm not going to explain this. We do it in the course of Heaven Academy, but we know that there is a principality of one of the main demonic spirits in heaven um, that works with Satan, who is Jezebel. And she is a false prophet. So the leader of a one world re religion, we talked about that, who that is, will be able to do miracles in the sight of the Antichrist, who is inhabited by Satan. They're working together. The last, the last position, person, the beast, an AI is brought to life by the false prophet. This is from Revelation 9, 11, and verses, um, chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. So at the end of the tribulation, there is a statue or a thing, a man-made thing that is inhabited by the king of demons in the bottomless pit. There's an angel chained there, and he is the king of the demons of the bottomless pit, and he's going to inhabit that beast that, that will stand in the temple at the end of the tribulation. So these three entities should not be confused with the beast that rises out of the bottomless pit. Let's look at that in Revelation 17, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on earth shall wander, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundations of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. There is this beast of the bottomless pit, and Jezebel rides upon it. And it includes all the power of the dragon who is Satan. So it's the entire rebellious force that is opposing God. The two witnesses will eventually be taken out by Satan's army. Remember, they're miraculously protected while they're prophesying for the 1,260 days. After that, Satan is allowed to overcome them. The verse 
only states the date that they will finish their testimony. It marks the middle of the tribulation. And only God knows how long it will take the enemy to overcome them. Let's continue. So you know more about the two witnesses so you can positively identify them. Revelation 11, verse 8 and 9, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds of tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies for three days, three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. You will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is the two witnesses when they are killed in Israel, in Jerusalem, where Jesus died. The Antichrist will not allow their bodies to be put into graves. They will be his, on display as his trophies the, of his victory. Revelation 11.4, and these two witnesses are the two olive trees and two lampstands which stand before the Lord of the earth. In Zechariah 4.11 through, um, through 14, we see more about these. And what are these two olive trees on the right side of the candlestick and on the left side thereof? And I answered again and said, what are these, what be these two olive branches, which though, which threw the two golden pipes, empty golden oil out of themselves? Then he said, these are two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Metaphorically speaking, in the word of God, trees are people. Olive trees are used to represent God's people. Gentiles, Christians, are wild olive trees that are grafted in. This means that they will not necessarily be Jewish by birth. A lampstand gives light. These two will bring great revelation from God. And of course, oil is the anointing of God, which will flow from these two witnesses. Revelation 11:5. And if anyone attempts to injure them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their, their enemies. If anyone should attempt to harm them, thus he is doomed to be slain. Now that is only during the 1,260 days. There is a supernatural protection for this empowered pair. Fire pouring from their mouths is metaphorical. It's a strong rebuke to anyone who would try to injure them. Their attackers will receive back that which is intended to harm the two witnesses. Remember, these two will be giving testimony of sin. If you look at the word of God, and we did through this Revelation series, much of what God calls sin, the world has embraced. And those who stand against it are persecuted. These two witnesses will be hated by all the earth, except those who know God's ways, except those who are willing to receive the truth of his word. This is the basic job of the witnesses. As we continue looking at scripture, we see some attributes which may help us recognize them. Revelation 11, 6. These two witnesses have the power to shut up the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. The witnesses are empowered to do certain types of miracles, which helps define the mantles 
the, that they will wear. Now, shutting up the sky is what Elijah was famous for. Remember, he prophesied a drought for a great many, many years. Since Malachi um, chapter four, verse five and six states that Elijah will prepare people before the great terrible day of the Lord, it is reasonable to assume that one of the two witnesses will again be equipped with the mantle of Elijah. Just to recap John the Baptist, in, Judea, in Judaism, being baptized was symbolic of being immersed in living water, in the living water of God being the Holy Spirit. And it would cleanse sin from our lives. John the Baptist was equipped with the mantle of Elijah and would be baptizing people who are determined to turn from their sin, to repent. Remember, his message was repent, turn, turn from your sin, prepare for the coming of Jesus. The witness wearing Elijah's mantle will remain hidden until he steps out as one of the two. Now let's discuss the second witness. Revelation 11:6, and they also have power to turn waters into blood and to smite and scourge the earth with all manner of plagues as often as they choose. This is the description of the mantle of the second witness. Turning water into blood is what Moses did, along with calling down the plagues of Egypt. The second witness will wear the mantle of Moses. Remember the Lord when he was up on the mountain with his disciples. And I don't have the scripture, I'm sorry, but the Holy Spirit is just bringing this now. When he was up there with three of his disciples, it was Elijah and Moses who appeared to him. Now this, the second witness has a job to do before the pair becomes the two witnesses. The witness of the second coming will teach people who have forgotten God's ways as Moses did. There was a famous minister that visited heaven, actual heaven, back in the 80s. He returned in time to preach at a church he was visiting and the congregation gasped and pointed at him. Much to his surprise, his face was glowing with God's glory. Back then, they didn't have cell phones or cameras in churches, but there was a word of hundreds of witnesses who saw this. When he was leaving heaven, Jesus escorted him out. And he kept asking him about the signs of his return, because Jesus kept telling him, I'm coming back soon, I'm coming back soon. And he's like, yes, yes, everybody knows you're coming back soon. You've been saying that for 2,000 years. You know, what will be the sign? of your return. Here's what Jesus said. Many people are looking for signs of my coming and they should be looking for my witness. Now, this gentleman was unsure of what it meant, but when I read it one particular day, God spoke loudly to me. I called a witness for the coming, first coming of my son would I not call a witness for the second? It has become clear that together, the witness of the first coming and the witness of the second coming will become 
the two witnesses of Revelation. The one equipped in the mantle of Moses still has a job to do as the witness of the second coming of Jesus. Remember, Moses had to help God's people relearn his ways because they were in Egypt for so long. They had become accustomed to the ways of sin because they were immersed in a culture that was focused on other gods. It was a long journey through the desert that allowed Moses to establish God's people in his ways. Now, our father has spoken many things to me about the two witnesses, but I hesitated to believe. I asked him, where is the foreshadowing in the Bible that would talk about the witness of the second coming of the Lord? The witness of the first coming is talked about in the Old Testament. The answer came in a very surprising way. I was in a Facebook group and somebody posted that when they were praying about a coming hurricane, that they asked God something and on their phone, he gave them a number. And it was 1111, that was a time, 11 colon 11. And God spoke clearly, asking them to discover the meaning of those numbers. One of the comments on there tried to explain that 11, according to dream interpretation, means what it means. But the Holy Spirit said, no, that is wrong. The number 11 does mean prophets, heroes of the Bible, great faith, transition, prophetic transition, and chaos. And 11.11 would be major prophetic transition because it's double. But in this case, the typical definition was only the partial meaning. The Holy Spirit spoke loud inside and said to look up all the passages in the Bible that are 11.11. The time when it's on a clock, it actually looks like scripture verses. So I started in the Old Testament. And then the Holy Spirit came in a whisper. It's in the New Testament. The moment I read Matthew 11, 11, I knew what he wanted to say. I knew this was the answer I'd ask God for. Each and every verse in the New Testament lined up to form a hidden message from God of what he had been already speaking to me, what he had already told me was the truth. The presence of the Holy Spirit became stronger and stronger with each verse that I read in the New Testament. He showed me how it all worked together, perfectly fitted with the very last verse. So let's look at those here today. There are a lot of scriptures, so let's begin. Here is the hidden Bible description of the witness of the second coming and the two witnesses. Verse 1, Matthew eleven eleven. I truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. The first eleven eleven clearly states what we are talking about, the witness of the coming of the Lord. Verse 2, it's in Mark eleven eleven, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, 
and now the even, evening tide was come. He went out into Bethany with the twelve. The second verse is showing that the job of the first witness has been complete. Jesus entered Jerusalem. He entered the temple to present himself, but nobody was there. They refused to acknowledge him as God's son. Now, I'm giving you every single verse from the New Testament with 11.11. I'm leaving nothing out. So let's continue with the third verse. Luke 11.11. What father among you, if his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? This is Jesus showing us that if seeking God, we will receive good results. It is the job description of the witness of the coming of Jesus. The baptism of John was performed, it was declaring a turning aside from sin that had drawn them away from God and returning back to God's ways, returning back to seeking God so that they would be ready for the arrival of Jesus. This renewal, this turning back, this seeking God is the best gift that they could receive. It's a renewal of their relationship with God. The second witness will likewise urge people to renew their relationship with Jesus. Now, usually Israelites would have to bring sacrifices, which cost money, to obtain forgiveness. However, John was preaching that it was a matter of the heart. Come and change your ways and be baptized so that you are ready for the appearance of Jesus. It was from these baptism that John earned his name, John the Baptist. The witness of the second coming will also be bringing a similar message to encourage people to seek God above all. Verse four, he said these things and then added, our friend Lazarus is at rest and sleeping, but I'm going there that I may waken him out of his sleep. John 11, 11. The body of Christ is asleep, almost dead. Look for the anointing of, of the Lord upon the witness of the second coming that will waken his church and turn people back to God's ways. Verse 5, Acts eleven eleven. And right then there were three men sent to me from Sisera, who arrived at the house in which we were. The two verses before this one give the meaning of the vision Peter had. You see, Peter received a vision that Gentiles were no longer unclean. Three men arrived to take him to the house of a Gentile where, who would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many think Enoch would be one of the two witnesses because he never died but was taken directly to heaven. Enoch lived before Abraham, before there was a Jewish nation. In other words, Enoch was a Gentile or not a Jewish person. The witness of the second coming will be a Gentile. This is a perfect balance of God. The first witness was from Israel and the next one will be from the Gentiles who were grafted in, who now know God. Verse six. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall to their utter spiritual ruin? By no means. 
but through their false step and transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to arouse Israel to feel, to see and to feel what they have forfeited and to make them jealous. This is Romans 11, 11. This is speaking to the fact that Israel re rejected Jesus so that salvation could come to the rest of the world, the Gentiles who were at one time without God, who have now come to know God, but Israel still sees them as Gentiles. What God brings to and through the Gentiles will provoke them, his people, Israel to jealousy. Just as two witnesses establish a matter, so do two scriptures. God gave us a second scripture to verify that the witness of the second coming of Jesus will be a Gentile, and this will provoke the Jewish nation, Israel, to jealousy. Now, verse 7. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. 1 Corinthians 11.11 11. Men and women are equally joined together in God's eyes. This comes at the end of what is perhaps the most misunderstood portion of the entire Bible. As much as I love the Amplified Version of the Bible, 1 Corinthians is understood better in any other version except the Amplified, preferably the ESV or the American King James. Every statement Paul makes about praying with their head uncovered is connected to the fact that, that the city was dominated by the worship of a goddess. Women ruled the household and spiritually they ruled. So Paul was advising the Corinthians that Christian women should uncover their heads and be submitted to their husband. I'm sorry, that they should cover their heads because covering their heads would show that they are submitted to their husband. They're not submitted to that goddess. So now at the end of this discussion, long discussion about women and their place in church in the in a church, we come to this verse, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 16. But if any men seem to be contentious, we have no such customs, neither the churches of God. Paul was giving advice on how to remain separate from the culture which worshiped a goddess. And everything he stated was only advice given for them. For the remainder of the churches, there were, quote, no such customs. At the time this is written, rabbis, such as Paul, would receive letters with questions about God's ways. The rabbi would then write a responsa, a letter answering the question. These letters would often repeat the question lest the reader forget what he had asked because it was months earlier that he sent off that letter. There was no copy. The entire book of 1 Corinthians is a responsa written from Paul to the Corinthians. If you look carefully, you will see a pattern of a statement that is given then an answer to that statement. Within this book, there is another question about, about women and we are gonna answer that part here today as well. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also said the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, 
for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. That is the question. Somebody's asking Paul this. Here's his response. What? Came the word of God out from you or came it only to you? If any man think him to be a pro himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant still. This is a super strong rebuke. He literally says, what? The Bible does say what? You know, he's like, what? This is total nonsense. I'm not even going to dignify this with the response. He, he says, did you get a revelation from God that was only to you? In other words, no one else sees things this way. Stating that any man think himself to be shows that Paul doubts very seriously that this is a new prophetic word from God. What was stated was so far outside of God, what God has taught his people that Paul wouldn't even dignify it with a response. Remember, Deborah, she, just a couple of the women in the Bible, not just two out of many. Deborah is a judge and she co-led the army into battle. Isaiah's wife, Huldah, there's um, Nadab, Miriam, and Deborah are also mentioned as prophets in the Old Testament. Pretty sure prophets spoke in the congregation of God. So in the case of this 1111 scripture, it is the beginning of an answer to what was previously stated. Verse 12 completes the answer, woman came out of man in the beginning of time, but now man comes out of woman. So in God's eyes, they are equal. There is no difference. Simply stating this verse is showing that the prophet of the second coming will be a woman. There is also a foreshadowing of this in the New Testament. Remember when Jesus' parents brought him to the temple as a baby to be circumcised and all the stuff taken care of, right? Brought him into the temple for the dedication. Two people were waiting to acknowledge him as the son of God. The first is a man named Simeon, who, or Simon, who prophesied over him. The second was a prophetess, a woman named Anna. The first witness of the coming of Jesus was a man. The second will be a woman. Let's continue on. We're only on verse eight. The eighth verse with 11.11 is 2 Corinthians 11.11. And why? Because I, because I do not love you. God knows I do. God is taking a minute to remind us that he is sending this witness because of his great love for us. And that this witness will show God's love to the world. He loves mankind equally. He loves men and women. In Galatians 3, 28, says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus. No male, no female. We are all the same. God sees his children equally, Jews, Greeks, free and slave, men and women. The witness of the second coming will be a female and a Gentile to show the truth of this verse. Verse 9, 
Because of faith also, Sarah herself received physical power to conceive a child, even when she was long past the age for it, because she considered God, who'd given her the promise to be reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. Hebrews 11.11. Because this is a revolutionary concept, God gives a second verse about a woman and one who received physical power. Remember, God's people were brought forth from both the faith of a man and a woman. Just as Sarah, Abraham's wife, became the mother of the Israel nation, so there will be a female prophetess who is willing to believe God. She will be endowed with power and will be the witness of the second coming of Jesus. Now, back years ago, there were, is more than one prophetic voice from prominent Christian men and women who have stated that the men are not getting the job done, that God is raising up women for this next move of God. I'm not sure they know exactly how right they are. We only have one verse left. This is verse 10. But after three and a half days, by God's gift, the breath of life again entered into them, and they rose up on their feet, and great dread and terror fell on all those who watched them. This is a perfection, a flow of all the 1111 verses that only God could accomplish. The very first verse spoke of the first witness, the beginning of the two witnesses, the first witness, John the Baptist showing who was going to be talked about. Next, the job description is given. Then the description of the individuals who will fulfill it. This very last verse of 1111 shows the death, the end of the job of the two witnesses. It is beautiful in the cemetery that only God, God could design this. He used 10 verses to reveal this truth. The biblical meaning of the number 10 is ordination, which means to confer holy orders on someone. Only our God could orchestrate such a thing. I'm sure when these were written in the new in the King James Version, they had they did not count out the ver verses and put the marks in so that it would say a woman would be the witness of the second coming. John the Baptist wasn't Elijah reincarnated or coming down from heaven. The book of Luke says he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Speaking of John the Baptist, that was our Lord speaking of John the Baptist. It means he has the same heart, the same gifting of Elijah, and John had that. Never before has God sent someone from heaven who is born who was not born in a generation to teach, to rebuke, to prophesy over a generation. That is man's job to take care of man. God would be cheating the system if he just plucked out his favorite hero and threw him down on earth. No, that isn't like God. Therefore, the two witnesses are not two mysterious people showing up from heaven, but they are people born on this earth with the heart and the gifting for the job at hand, just as John the Baptist was born and raised in his generation.
Now, how can you identify the two witnesses? Revelation verse 11, 10, and they that dwell on earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelled on the earth. So the Greek word gay is translated earth, but a fuller meaning is the earth as opposed to the heavens. People who are not citizens of heaven through Jesus will be focused on the world and they will rejoice when these two witnesses die, even to the point of celebrating their death by sending gifts. Wow, these two people will be very hated. One man, one woman. They will be prophesying, drought, plagues. They will be giving testimony against the earth. What they say will offend many. If you are not aligned with the kingdom of God, you will not like their words. You can easily identify these two. They'll be hated more than any other person on the planet. There are two events that will occur together as they step out together. We know this from the Revelation series. There will be a signing of a seven-year agreement. This marks the beginning of the tribulation and when they will appear. They will be prophesying in power. They will, they will announce droughts. They will announce plagues. Both of these must be present in order to correctly identify the two witnesses beyond a shadow of the doubt. Until that time, God may choose to hide them from the full view of the body of Christ, and they will be hidden from their enemies. That is the end of this message today. I hope it will help you identify who the two witnesses are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that you have hidden the two. You have hidden the witness of the second coming. It is up to you and to your spirit to reveal unto your children to whom they will. So I place this message in your hands. Reveal unto those who are ready the identity when they are ready. Let your words be true and move into the hearts of man. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, amen. May God bless you and keep you. Shalom.